0: who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Carla Johnson, welcome to Entre Architect Podcast.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's so nice to be here. I appreciate you asking me to join you today.
0: Oh, I'm excited about this. Innovation is one of my favorite topics, so this is this is going to be fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me introduce you. Uh, Carla is an innovation strategist, a 10-time author, and a CEO of Rethink Labs. Carla helps organizations that are constrained by old school approaches when taking on new world problems. Often, these companies struggle with unpredictability and frustrating inefficiencies and shortfall of results, and they might point fingers and say that they have the wrong people, the wrong strategy, or the wrong product. But in reality, it's typically outdated methods. As CEO of Rethink Labs, Carla helps organizations design and build ideal strategies to accelerate innovation, engagement, and growth. Having written 10 books and studied both innovation and architecture for the past 20 years, she's developed uh, specific frameworks to help leaders remodel their approaches in order to boost speed, reduce risk, and enjoy more predictable outcomes. So Carla, I shared a little bit about you and who you are. Um, Before we jump into your origin story, you're talking to a bunch of architects. So I want to clarify, uh, because I know you talk about um, innovation architect, and and you talk about architecture, and you use that a lot in your your messaging. Um, Do you have background in, in architecture? Or is it just an inspiration for the work that you do?
1: I actually do have background in architecture. I started out in university as an electrical engineering major. Okay. And decided after a couple of years, that wasn't my thing but my first 10 years of my career, which we'll get into with my origin story, I work for architects. Great. And I loved it so much that my master's degree actually relates to architecture. It's not in architecture, but it's related.
0: Yeah, great, great. So you're talking to your people here. So I, exactly. I, I bring exactly. that up. I feel like
1: I've come home, Mark. I feel like I'll, I've come home. <laughs>
0: a lot of people use the term architecting and an innovation architect or strategy architect. and And architects always wanna know are you do you have that background or the real or not?
1: deal or just copy? Exactly. label right exactly so i like <laughs> to
0: ask that question up front so so everybody knows where we where we stand um so great so i would love to hear your origin story share share a little bit about um when you discovered your passion for what you do and and maybe a little bit about maybe who or what inspired you to move in that direction
1: yeah absolutely so To expand on what I said just a minute ago, um, beyond university, and I think I was just too extroverted to spend the time necessary in a library on a beautiful Saturday afternoon studying for the courses that are required for (laughs) engineering, and I went to the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, which has a fantastic architecture program, and one of the things that I've, that's always come natural to me is writing, and lo and behold, one of my First um, part-time jobs in college was working for a four or five person architecture firm in Lincoln, Nebraska. And one of the reasons they really liked me is because I could write, um, I didn't have any marketing classes yet but it was just all common sense the marketing part of things and i could draft i mean it was long it was pre cad days mark yep. so yep. i'm there with I remember my those days. Yeah, <laughs> and my, you know i actually i actually drafted and and i ran a lot of blueprints through the machine and loved all of the ammonia high that comes with it and yep. and everything and um what i what i really liked working with the architects early on is maybe it's because i like a good secret But I liked all of the strategy and the master planning and everything that happens before anybody ever breaks ground and you see something tangible come out of the ground. And I I liked that part of it and all the planning. And so from that five-person architecture firm, my next job was for BDH Architects in Omaha, Nebraska, doing marketing for them as well. And I was there for about four years. And that was architecture on more of a regional level. They did have offices in Pasadena, California and a joint venture outside of Washington, D.C. And one of their areas of expertise was historic preservation. And I had ended up getting my uh, undergraduate degree in business and history because I think it was the storytelling part of history that I really gravitated toward. And I have professors who showed me how you could make a living in history outside of being a professor. At the time so i thought i thought that was a good a good choice but then what i also loved was going with the design architects to the client meetings and hearing these discussions about what do you want this to look like how do you want it to feel and in the case of historic preservation it's about how do we bring that historic story to life in a way that still feels relevant today. And, and they did some museum work. They had done different projects for the Smithsonian and um, those kind of projects. And then I moved on to a larger firm, HDR architects and, and engineers in Omaha. And then I was able to um, have the opportunity to work on projects globally and, and do marketing for them in that way. And what I found is I still loved that history part of my background and I love the storytelling. So I, my master's degree is in history as it relates to historic preservation. And that was where I wrote my first book. I call myself the accidental author. There's so many people who <laughs> like stress, and there's so much pressure over, I want to write a book and just, you know, it consumes their lives. And for me, my master's thesis was on the um, social and architectural history of the Union Pacific train stations in Omaha, Nebraska, which which is still in print. Um, and and i talk about all the details and the architectural details and how it really reflected the social comings and goings at the time and in particularly the settling of the western united states and i don't think a lot of people consider omaha to be such an anchor to the opening of the west yeah and even that role that the train station played in it and what it meant architecturally For people to come into that space back to my first experience with architects and talking about what do you want people to feel when they come into this space and um so i worked for hdr about for another four years and then my husband and i being newlyweds and no kids we took a year off and we backpacked through south america and i think between the background in architecture and what i found a as a love for travel and in different cultures those those are two things that very naturally go together, because as I would listen to the design architects talk about the projects, it was amazing Mark the things that they could pull in from different cultures, different styles, different everything. It, it made me feel um, that I wanted to be more worldly. It was really inspiring to, to listen to designers make these ideas come to life. And after we came back from South America, my husband and I moved from Omaha to Denver, We're outdoor people, we hike and bike and ski and and snowboard. So that cutting down that drive about eight hours to the mountains was pretty (laughs) nice for us. And my first job then in Denver was for a telecom company. And boy, was that ever a different world. And I think the biggest shock to me, and I think the thing that most marketers, and I think even people who work outside of the professional services industry, but I think especially the AEC industry, is that they don't understand the relationship part of what you do. And so I went from a very relationship way of thinking about business and marketing into one that was very product focused. And after two years, we went through an IPO, we acquired two companies, it was in the height of the dot com boom. Um, I left because what I found is what I needed to do my job were storytellers who could think about that experience first and then reverse engineer it into whatever we needed to create as marketers. And I couldn't find people to do it. And so I thought, I know this is a need, so that was my inspiration to leave my corporate job and and start my own business. And and that's what I've done for 22 years now, is really help people understand different aspects or different ways of looking at experience design, primarily in marketing in the early part of my company, um, but now shifting over into innovation and um, after my master's thesis was published i wrote the history first history ever on western union and here was here was a company who was 155 years old who said we need somebody who can bring the richness of all of this to life and then i wrote the history of the omaha district corps of engineers and that was just kind of a thing that came naturally for me and then i wrote some marketing books and one of them was Um, in 2015 called Experiences, The Seventh Era of Marketing. And I think that's when I really very forwardly began to draw on my architecture background, because looking at that idea of even as marketers, if we want to create an experience, an experience triggers an emotion. So as marketers, what emotion do we want to create? Now, just like architects, how do we reverse engineer that? Into what we produce or create or think or do. And it was after that book came out, I had a lot of people say to me, I, I love the framework, I love the process, but I still struggle with how to come up with ideas. And that led me down a five-year rabbit hole of research to understand, because I've never been somebody who's short on ideas, um, to understand is this ability to get an inspiration and turn it into a real life tangible idea that has Uh, relevance and impact, something that can be learned, um, scaled, and repeated. And it it turns out that it is. And I interviewed people from all sizes of companies, all walks of life, you know, big multi-billion dollar companies down to individual, you know, solopreneur kind of business owners. And the interesting thing that I saw as I interviewed these people is that they all followed the same process whether they realized it or not. And it's that ability to understand where people get inspiration for their ideas, I think is what just made me so excited to be able to bring that forward from my early days in architecture and really share it with the world. So that's how my blend of innovation and architecture come together. And that's why I call myself an innovation architect.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. And, And I love how um you have this background in architecture and then it's developed into this uh, consulting and strategic uh you know planning and the, the types of work that you do uh and you're working with non-architecture firms being out there sort of sharing your information with the world um and and now we can come back and talk about innovation for architects because architects um you know we are innovation or we want to be innovative right we we don't want to just design what everybody's always designed. We always want to come up with that new, unique idea. We want to solve that problem in a new, innovative way. Uh, so I would love to have that conversation and talk to you about innovation uh, and about how architects can maybe apply your five-step framework that you work with with companies and, and brands with, uh, and so maybe they can use some of that for their own their own businesses, but also with their projects and the things that they're doing. Would that be would that sound like a good idea?
1: Yeah. And we can walk through the five-step process <clears throat> and I'll explain it. And then I can talk about how to use it in a couple of dis- different instances, Great. whether it's for marketing or for internal operations or, or anything like that. Because the nice thing that I learned by being having the opportunity to talk to so many people in so many different areas of a business is to realize it's not something that has a single place. Right. You know, it's not just a marketing thing. It's not just an operations thing. It's, it's really a way of thinking that applies across an organization.
0: So so explain to me sort of as a general broad stroke uh, definition of, of what is innovation and, and you know, why is it important?
1: You bet. Um, so I define innovation as the ability to consistently come up with new, great and reliable ideas. And I define, it sounds like a short, concise definition, but now let me unpack it a little bit. Yeah so a new idea is something that it may just be new to your industry it doesn't have to necessarily never ever been done before so for example mcdonald's was looking for a way to get more people through their drive-through faster pace more people more efficient and all of that you know and they they did all the research that they could on fast food restaurant drive-throughs and so what they did is they looked for outside inspiration um, looking in areas outside of the fast food industry, even um, the food industry to see what they could find. And lo and behold, it was looking at how a Formula One pit stop operates because their whole thing, get a car in, right. you know, t- turn it and get it out as fast as you can, which essentially were the same goals as McDonald's. And when they revised and redesigned their drive-through system they use that formula and pit stop as an inspiration. Now, is that a completely new, never, ever been done before idea? No, but it was new to them in their industry and and it made a big difference. And then when we look at a great idea and I'll be honest, Mark, a great idea is something that is more um, subjective. Like your definition of a great idea might be really different from my definition of a great idea. I know it is for my husband and I sometimes when it comes to home (laughs) projects, around there. (laughs) And so when we think of a great idea, it's think of it as something that um, like gets the hair to stand up on your, you know, the back of your neck or makes, you know, gives you that chicken skin. Like it, it makes you excited. And when you hear an idea, that's great. It almost makes you envy that idea that you didn't think of it yourself. So that's new and great ideas, but even those on their own, aren't necessarily innovative because we've seen lots of these one hit wonder kind of things that, you know, take everybody by storm and then completely, you know, the wheels fall off the bus. And so this third element of an innovative idea is one that's reliable. And that ultimately is one that has a bottom line impact and makes a difference financially, because if at the end of the day, we don't have a way to implement the ideas that we have in order to have a true impact on our business, They're a nice to have, but they're not a necessity to have. And I believe that innovation is a necessity to have. Now, going back to the beginning of that definition, consistently coming up with new, great and reliable ideas. Innovation is a flywheel and it's a mindset. And so in order to get this flywheel going, we have to understand that innovation is the way we do what we do. It's not something that we do on top of everything else that we do. Many times I'll talk to executives and leaders and they'll say, you know, our teams are busy enough. I don't want to dump one more thing on them by saying you got to be innovative now because who really knows what it means? Because as 20 different people, you have 40 different definitions. But if you're asking people to come up with ideas that are new, great and reliable, and then you give them a specific framework on how to do that. Now, all of a sudden they have a different mindset about, how they do what they are already doing and in a way are better educated in being able to discern is what I'm doing even something I should be doing? Because maybe this new great and reliable idea is going to show them a different way that can cut out 60% of something that you're doing now, which makes you more effective, which comes down to that reliable aspect of an idea that has a financial performance. It could be just that And I have this example of a woman who worked in the finance department of a software company in Atlanta. She used this process and was able to teach herself a programming language and wrote a program that took a monthly report that previously was 40 manual hours. So a week every month to run this report. And now it runs in about 12 minutes. Hmm. Now, are they paying her less? No, absolutely not. But she's able now to spend 39 hours and 48 minutes a month on work that's more valuable to the company and also work that um, feels more purposeful to her. You know, spending 40 hours, spending a week every month, grinding out a manual report, even if finance is what you like to do, is soul sucking. And so if we think about being able to use this process and this approach to really get you more excited about your work and bring your current passions and and opening up some time in your calendar to do those projects that you'd really love to do but never have the time to get to do i think that's pretty powerful for people
0: yeah yeah and i'm i'm thinking about our community of architects and i'm looking at architecture as a profession uh, and and you know regular listeners to this podcast will will recognize uh my concern for the future of this profession that that Technology is is encroaching on the work that we do. Um, Different industries are starting to uh, sort of encroach on the work that we do, and and it's starting to to provide services that architects traditionally have have uh, provided. I believe that this time in our in our period of of a profession, innovation is so critically important right now because we have to rethink how we do what we do as architects. We can't continue just doing what we've always done because other technologies and other industries are, are going to compete with us. And so if we don't innovate on how we provide our services or the experience that our clients may experience when, when they're working with us, we're going to be threatened as a profession. And so that's for me, why innovation is so important. So I think this is, uh, to talk to you about this five-step framework, uh, I would love for architects to consider this um, framework not only for the work that they do as architects right because we can you'll learn the framework and you'll be able to apply it to your projects but I would love for us to think of it in terms of our businesses and our position in the profession uh, and how we can make sure that the profession evolves and continues to to be you know what are the great ideas what are the new ideas what are the reliable ideas in architecture so we can continue to thrive and continue to serve our world.
1: And it's something, Mark, that I call the three story limit. Um, A long time ago, there was this perceived height restriction of about three stories on buildings, you know, how much wood, how much stone can you use and and how much, you know. Um, And so with this three story limit, people had this perception of that's as big as buildings could get. Yet somebody came along and broke that perception of a three story limit by putting steel into structures. So now we had steel structures that could easily go higher than three stories. But the next three story limit is, you know, especially 150 years ago, how many flights of stairs are you willing to climb up, especially if you had a you know big hoop skirt and, and all those yeah. things. It was a three story limit on how high buildings could be again. And that's where elevators came into the picture. But even if you think about elevators and and what we know today as skyscrapers, You want to go to the top of a skyscraper, awesome, but you've sat and wait at an elevator bank, just like I have, going, man, you know, counting down the numbers, waiting for it to get down to your floor. And so there's a three-story limit on the efficiency or the desirability of an elevator in a skyscraper. And then there's um, the German company Thies & Krau designed an elevator called the Multi that goes up and down and back and forth, and they call it sideways and slideways. That broke through our perception of what an elevator should look like. And I think in the architecture profession, we have this opportunity to discover some of these possibilities we haven't even thought about before and break the third story limit, three story limit that we're in right now about what we believe is possible for how we show up in the world. And I think that's where the five step process can really help.
0: Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial, especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like rcat.com is so important. Rcat works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you, easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. So go try RCAT.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entre Architect community. Let's jump into the five step process so we understand what that is. Um, I just wanted to sort of set that groundwork so architects can just get their mindset in, in what I want you to apply it to, right? Absolutely. It's gonna be awesome to make design great buildings, but what are you gonna do about your specific firm to attract more clients and, and create this demand that no one else can provide services for? The
1: fi- Real quick, the five steps to the process are observe, distill, relate generate and pitch so if we start out with with the observe step i think one of the things that architects are amazing at is observing the world around them it's their you know they look at the details they notice the details and that's where a lot of their inspiration comes from and and that's what i loved about working in the architecture profession and when i worked at hdr one of the areas of specialty we had was healthcare design. And I remember especially the children's hospitals that were designed. And one of my, to this day, dear friends is Tom Trenelone. He's a fellow in the AIA and he actually started out in the marketing group before he went to the architecture group. And that's what we would talk about is what is it in the world around us that inspires us and how does that translate into the work of architecture and design? And there's also opportunities for what is it that we observe as a great experience for customer experience or different ways to generate revenue or different ways to onboard employees or or what an office environment even looks like those are just examples of things that we observe and then our mind naturally takes everything that we've observed and moves into that second step which is distill because our mind is looking for context for things it's looking for patterns so it takes all of those observations that we've looked at at the minutia level and it says, okay, I want to categorize these. I want to distill these into patterns. It could be patterns of comfort. It could be patterns of height. It could be patterns of, of noise or no noise. There's no rhyme or reason into these categories that we distill. And then the third step is really where bringing the outside world into what we do really starts to become tangible. And that's the relate step. And many times we see where either this step isn't present with the outcome of an idea, or it's just not done well. And when people observe and distill their observations into patterns and jump straight to generating ideas, those ideas often aren't relevant either to their business, to their particular situation. It could be their culture. It could be their industry, whatever it is and they're expensive mistakes. And that's when people will start to say, innovation isn't for me. And it's because this ability to truly understand what is it that you've observed on those patterns and how do those patterns relate into into your world? So if you think about this in terms of the ALS ice bucket challenge, I know I put buckets of ice water (laughs) over my head more than once. uh, And after that, I wrote a check but what other nonprofits didn't understand is that they were trying to copy and paste something that was viral and use use that idea of let's just create something viral rather than really observing what made that work and it was all these little details about you had a choice you could dump a bucket of water or you could write a check it was um people were sending this to a lot of the friends and sometimes their frenemies, you know, that they wanted to to have, you know, dump the ice bucket over since they couldn't. And, And all these little details and the patterns that they distilled were about shareability, about community, about something very little you could do to do something good. And those are the things that they should have been looking at how to relate into their own nonprofit, but because they didn't understand, this approach of ideas and making them relatable in your own situation. Then when they move into step four, which is generating the ideas, they either didn't make sense, they were um, disjointed to what people saw as the purpose of that nonprofit, or they, they just didn't work. And we see this in a lot of different areas with other types of companies. And the interesting thing is, Mark, is that now that we're at step four generate, this is normally where most people start. Yeah. Whiteboard session, brainstorm session, strategy session, you know, client information gathering session. And it's like Michael Phelps in third grade being asked to compete in the Olympics. You know, going from zero to top performance with no training, no practice, no skill development, no understanding of the mindset of what it takes to perform. And this is where I like to point out to people that it's the mindset that helps with the performance. And it's the same thing with innovation as it, is, as it is an athlete. You have to practice these things, but it doesn't mean you have to go from zero to 100 today. It happens over time. And like anything that you're learning, you're probably going to be kind of bad at it at first. I think architects by nature are better at this because they're in this profession that tends to think this way. Um, this this was the profession that inspired me. So I like to think that they're more natural at this. And then once you have an idea that has this inspiration and context for your own situation, now you pitch it. And the nice thing about this five-step process is that by the time you get to step five of pitching your idea, you've actually already done the work to put your pitch together because the pitch is purely telling the story of the journey of your idea. So you go back to the beginning And talk about what is it that you observed and what were those patterns and how do those patterns relate into the situation that you're doing now? And how did that inspire the idea that you have? That's your pitch. Now, of course, you need to add a a lot more meat onto it if it's for something like a, you know, a client project or something like that. But at its simplest form, these are the parts and pieces of it. And so when we look at it in the world of an architecture firm, Think about things like what what you're wanting to accomplish and in the book, Rethink Innovation, I give a formula for developing an objective statement, which includes we need new ideas to what is it we're wanting to uh, um, create here so we can. And that's important. What's the outcome we're looking for? Are we looking for greater client retention? Are we looking for more leads? Are we looking for greater profitability on the projects that we have? you know, what, whatever it might be. And then what constraints do you have? Because a lot of ideas would be amazing ideas if we didn't have to worry about budget time or, you know, I'll say it, the lawyers. Um, but so, so we all live in a world of constraints. And so when architecture firms look at using this process, it, if we're looking at it, I'll just use marketing as an example. What if the, cusp, the client experience that you created for your firm took inspiration from a spa, the Ritz-Carlton? Yeah. Yeah. What would that like be like to do work with you? And architects might be going, you know, I'm not doing essential oils and we're not having a steam <laughs> room. And no, that's that's not about copy and paste. But what is it about that experience that relaxes you, that gets people to relax and and maybe share things that they wouldn't normally like? How can you create that kind of environment and relate that into your Firm's practice. Now, I know an, a dentist who actually did take inspiration from a spa with her dental practice. And you walk into the waiting room, and it is just like a spa waiting room. And the colors, all of the small elements throughout the office are designed like a spa. You lay down in the dental chair and they ask you, would you like a hot towel for your face or that, you know, mittens for your hands and soothing music and all of these things? And so they understand that. A perception that people have of a dentist is that it's painful and scary so they took inspiration from a situation an experience that's very relaxing and they related that into their situation so as architects do you want to have a a calming experience that you want to deliver maybe you want to make it like a you know a ritz carlton five star experience and it's all about um the quality of the finishes or the pastry, you know, is it one from 7-Eleven on your way into town or, you know, into the office, or is it one from a true French bakery that you bring in and and the coffee and all these little things, you know, what is it that you can take from inspiration there? Now, the other part, if we look at this five-step process and how it may apply to the operation side of the business, then we can go back and look at For example, the woman in the accounting department, it's not a particularly large company, but are you wanting to create an operations culture where people think about what they're doing and maybe how to perform it in a different way? For example, one of the things I think every company of every size and every industry right now is struggling with is talent. And so what is a company or an industry that's able to find maybe onboard talent really, really quickly. I mean, Uber, I think you can apply to be an Uber driver and be in your car earning money within about an hour. Now that doesn't mean you should look at throwing all of your vetting processes out the window so that you can have people on board within an hour. But what is it that they do? What is it that you can observe about their hiring, their vetting, you know, their process? What are the patterns that you're seeing in it? And how can you start to relate that to your own firm and how you hire so those are those are a couple of examples of using the process
0: yeah great great examples and inspiring um the you know i think that one of the areas that architects will be able to thrive in if they focus on it uh, and innovate with it is the human to human connections um machines can't can't have a human to human connection no matter how hard they try they won't be able to make a human to human connection and architects uh, should look at that and and think about how, what are other industries, right? How observe other industries who have really good human to human connections, restaurants, hotels, hospitality. They have really well-developed, really great systems for having that um, that human to human connection and make it seem like it's, you know, just happened to happen, right? But it was very well designed to make sure that it happened. It created the opportunity for it to happen. That's part of the innovation of those successful restaurants and successful hotels. Uh, I think architects need to think about those type of human-to-human connections.
1: I agree. And there's um, there's a bank in the Pacific Northwest that was struggling. It was a local, I would say, two-state area regional bank, and they were struggling to compete against you know others in the area and and um big chain type banks. And they did actually take inspiration from Ritz Carlton and they created their lobby and waiting area as, Hey, you need a place to come in and get Wi-Fi and work for a little while, come into our bank lobby. You know, there's free coffee. There's, there's some of these things, not that architects want to open up their offices to be like that. But to your point, there's so much of an opportunity for architects to bring the human side of what we do forward. And and I say architects were the original design thinkers before IDEO made it popular, because they understand the human element part of it. Yeah.
0: yeah, It's the way architects have been trained for for generations to think. Exactly. And
1: and so we have an opportunity to look at other very human-oriented professions and say, what can I draw in from what they do and learn from it and, and put it into practice in my own firm?
0: yeah yeah and 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 I think it can happen from the design process in our projects all the way through what is an architect, and what do architects do? How do we serve the world with the skills and the talents that we have as architects? what innovative solutions and what innovative um, services can we provide that we haven't yet provided? But we can, because we have those skills, we should go through this five step process of observe and distill, relate, generate and pitch and come up with these new ideas and test them, try them, see if how they work. And if they work, keep doing it and grow on them.
1: I think there's a huge opportunity like that. And when I worked at HDR, we did exactly that. Being in the healthcare arena, it was a time in the um, late 90s where they were really building in IT infrastructures into facilities. But you know how it works. Like, the capital budget is never the same as the IT budget, which is never the same as the clinical budget. So there were all of these different places and budgets um, at play and almost in many times in conflict with each other. Yeah. And so we created a consulting division called HDR Consulting, where that was our big opportunity for revenue that we saw was to do these consulting projects and work with hospitals and healthcare systems to be able to strategically plan the facilities, the IT and the clinical care all at once. And we hired experts in clinical care who who had designed clinical areas. We hired people who were experts in the kind of technology. And so it all came together. So then by the time it came for uh, a a project that was going to actually be built, these um, clients had a better, and smarter strategy. So they knew they weren't going to build a building and then 2 years later rip up all the floors and have to redo the wiring because they hadn't planned for, you know, IT infrastructure to support some of the equipment that they knew they had to had to use. And then by doing that, they could also see how do we design the spaces so it's optimal for clinical care from both a space perspective and also a technology perspective. Yeah. And that that's been a huge revenue arm for HDR. It was just a undiscovered possibility that they came, ac- came across because they were looking at this human side and and really saying, what's here that we haven't paid attention to before?
0: Yeah, yeah. Very inspiring, motivational. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure lots of listeners right now are thinking, oh, like, we can do more. We can do more than what we do now. And, and we have the permission to do it, right? You don't have to just do what we've always done. Uh, so very inspiring. Um, if you want to learn more about this process, this five-step process, um, Carla's book is "Rethink Innovation." So it's like R capital R capital E, uh, like colon, yeah, colon colon think innovation. What's What's the story behind rethink?
1: There is a little story, and I, I, you, and I are probably of the same generation. When we started early in our career, there were actual physical paper memos, and it yes. said two yep. colon from colon R E colon. And the RE was an um, an abbreviation for regarding, as in this memo is regarding. And so that's a little bit of a play on words for yeah. the title of the book, is that I want us to rethink the way, you know, regarding the way we think about innovation. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I want us to rethink it in that way. I love way.
0: that. I love yeah, that. So, so rethink innovation. We'll have a link to that on the show notes as well. Um, Carla's website is carlajohnson.co. So we'll have a link to that as well. Um, The company is Rethink Labs, Uh, it's all there for you. Before we wrap things up, Carla, I would love for you to answer the question I ask all my guests. And and I think that um, because of the work that you do, I'm interested in your answer. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow?
1: I love this question because I think architects have an incredible opportunity with this that they haven't realized. And it goes back to your comment, Mark, about architecture being so human-centered. And I think that if architects would sit down and map out what a day in the life of fill-in-the-blank client looks like, yeah, I think they would start to see holy smokes. Like we may have this project with them, but that is just a thimble of the amount of time that they spend all day on everything. And I think they'll start to see opportunities yeah. to serve clients in ways that they never imagined. And, and that really was how we got to that point to see that HDR consulting was something that really, really mattered is that I went with the head of the healthcare architecture practice and we flew around the company, country and we sat down with heads of hospitals and healthcare systems and we said, tell us what you got going on that has nothing to do with architecture. And that's where we heard these pain points over and over and over again. And I think one of those things along that way is when people are going to look for an architect, um, whether it's commercial or residential or you know personal, I think they have a lot of questions. And I think architects have an opportunity through content, content marketing, video blogs, white papers, yep. books, eBooks, whatever, to answer those questions and become the experts on topics that they don't realize. And once you have that reputation as an expert, when people have a question in architecture, I think whether or not it relates to them or not, people are going to say they're the go-to person. They may say, I don't think this firm does it, but they'll know who to point you to. And whenever you can be the best answer for something that a client or potential client may have, that's when you become golden. And, and I think that's when the the scales start to flip and you have more people coming to you than you are going out to pursue for new work.
0: So much value in this conversation. <laughs> it, it just hits so many different points. I,
1: I've spent a lot of time putting together proposals and RFPs and and yep. uh, interview presentations and things like that. It's, it's just a, it's an industry that I love.
0: Fantastic. Carla Johnson is her name. The company is Rethink Labs. CarlaJohnson.co is the website. The book is Rethink Innovation. Uh, Carla, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being out there talking about innovation, inspiring people to innovate. You're making the world better through that process because everybody should innovate. That's how the world gets better, right? The world gets better by people coming up with these new and innovative ideas and to make the the world better for each of us. And architects are, are the ground zero for that. Absolutely. agree. Absolutely so agree. I appreciate you coming by here and inspiring us at Entree Architect podcast.
1: Thank you. And thank you for having me on Mark. This is like I said, this is my, my people and I'd love being able to have these conversations with you. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect podcast, please share a rating, write a review and share a link to this episode with a friend. I know I say this every episode, but I'd really love for you to send me some feedback. Share a rating, write a review, however you want to do that. And please share a link to this episode with a friend. Just send it off in an email. Say hey, take a listen to this episode of Entre Architect Podcast, because that is how Entre Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. I appreciate it. Share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources that we discussed today in this episode are available at the show notes for this episode. And all the episodes can be found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entre Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. That's the media network that's dedicated to architects, engineers and construction pros listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com that's g-a-b-l media.com if you like this podcast if you like entre architect podcast i think you'll love all the podcasts at gable media go check them out at gablemedia.com my name is mark arla page thank you for listening to this episode of entre architect podcast i appreciate you love learn and share what you know